this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. There is a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today we will be talking to Richard Shakespeare who is the Assistant Chief Executive at Dublin City Council. As Dubliners, we may not be aware that our home city is now ranked as a global alpha city in the ranking of the Globalization and World Cities Research Network, putting it among the top 30 cities globally in terms of its economic connectivity. And therefore, its current prominence as a tangible is a tangible manifestation of the effects of globalization that we talk about so much on this program. So prior to joining DCC in 2017, Richard was Dunleary Ratdown County Council, where he was Director of Municipal Services. Welcome, Richard, and thank you very much for being here with us today. I'm delighted to reconnect, Patrick. Good to talk to you. Okay, Richard, your current role is as uh, Assistant Chief Executive at Dublin City Council. And that's a position you've held now since 2017. Could you give us a brief overview of your career over the last three decades or so? Uh, and what are your main responsibilities in your current role? Okay, so, um, oh goodness, um, sort of 30, I, I just, I, I, 30 years in local government. Yeah. Takes uh, us back to the late, late 80s, I think, is it? Uh, well, late, it was started, I, I, I did a primary degree in landscape horticulture. Uh, that finished in 87 and then did a master's in uh, engineering science, uh, both in UCD. Mm -hmm. And then just as I was completing the the master's, um, I uh, was offered a job uh, uh, to work with Dublin County Council Parks Department in 1990. Okay. And, um, and that involved a lot of parks planning and stuff like that and landscaping of motorways around the country which it's great to see that uh, primarily in Kildare. Um, and it's great to see those trees now getting more mature as the years go on. Um, then in 1994, um, we had the dissolution of Dublin County Council uh, and the establishment or incorporation of three new local government uh, entities. Fingal, which was North County Dublin, South Dublin, which was sort of West Dublin, and then Dunleary Rat Down, which was um, an amalgamation of uh, the old Dunleary Borough and the Rat Down Committee of the old Dublin County Council. And also thrown into that was the Dean's Grange Joint Burial Board. So that's how that all came to come. And I moved out to Dunleary Rat Down on the 1st of January 1994 into our Parks Department um, and was fulfilling a largely similar role there initially. Um, and we had a lovely location. We were based up in Cabinteely House. Um, and then, I suppose, doing all the bits and pieces that one does in, uh, and then there was a sort of a change in how local government was being run and thing called Better Local Government happened in sort of the late late, late 90s, early noughties, which allowed uh, the technical staff, um, you might say, go for administrative jobs. So hence, uh, at that stage, I moved from uh, the technical side of the house to the dark side of administration. <laughs> um, and that was largely on foot of, I suppose, a little bit of success that I'd had in terms of uh, turning 
Marley Park into a rock concert venue and making. Oh, so you were responsible for that? Yeah, so I, I you know, people can throw darts at me in, <laughs> at their leisure, and um, but also at that stage, then you know, I started a thing called the DLR Coco Markets, Coco Markets brand, mm-hmm. which started in um, on the People's Park in Dunleary. Um, and then moved up to Marley and it was in Black Rock and then Cabin Teeley and stuff like that but I suppose it would have been at the early start of um, farmers markets coming back into vogue Yeah. so I mean I was always I suppose into the animation of parks and uh, wasn't particularly overly concerned as to what that animation was you know mm-hmm. um, and so I, at that stage I moved from being a you know a park superintendent, as I was called back then, to being a senior <coughs> executive officer. And I had responsibility for the culture, community development and amenity side of the house. So again, you know, I, everything from parks, burial grounds, sport and recreation, community development uh, side of the house. And did that for quite a while and then moved up a notch. Um, and um, the... Uh, you know, came into um, being a director of uh, environment and culture, and then is uh, that turned into municipal services, which was essentially, you know, it, it sounded sort of quite Victorian, but it was basically director of operations. So mm-hmm. all the outdoor staff, everything from water and waste, uh, parks, roads, uh Cemeteries, all of the direct labor operations uh, or outdoor operations um, came into me. So, and then I got, then, then I ran into, I suppose, a bit of technology in that we rolled out um, these big belly bins, which were, you know, solar compacting uh, intelligent bins that told you when they needed to be emptied. Yep, I see them around the place. Yeah, my, uh, I live on the Old Connacht Avenue, which, although it's in Bray, is actually yeah. Dunleary uh, Rath Down, and there's a big belly bin there on the on the avenue. Yeah, so it, you know the, the, that created incredible efficiencies in terms of just a simple little service like that. You know, we used to have five hundred and twenty odd ninety liter, you know, the old cylindrical bins. Yeah, and these things then uh, gave us about six hundred liters capacity, um, and then you could set the you know the emptying regime. Uh, depending on how frequently you want to do it. But we were emptying 521 bins every day. And then we were only emptying about 15% of the 430 uh, smart bins. Yeah, and they, they auto-compact, do they? They do, yeah. Okay. Um, so what it is is that they, when they fill, and there's, I say they're solar-powered, you get, uh, they compact, and... Uh, you know, then they reach a certain capacity. We set ours at about 85%. And then they're basically communication is made on the, on the, on the, what they call the clean system. Mm. Uh, and every morning we're, we were able to tell how many bins needed to be emptied. We were able to... And where they are, right? Software was able to tell us what route uh, should be taken. Mm. And that enabled us to redeploy... Other, st- you know, staff who, who who had empty in the bins on a daily basis, it enabled us to redeploy them into areas like parks and mm-hmm. actually some of the, I suppose the, the street sweeping side of things. Yeah, so I, I, overall I, yeah, a better yeah. service. How has the administration of local government in Ireland changed over the last thirty years or so? 
And what do the chief priorities today, in what way do they contrast today uh, with the priorities back then? Um, I suppose when you look at it, I mean, there, there, were, there were a number of key things. As I said, you know, there was this um, better local government piece in the uh, late noughties, uh, or early noughties, late 90s. Um, and the um, that was uh, better local government. And that, uh, that, that I suppose enabled the, the shift, but they introduced, a, you might, I suppose, a key function into local government, um, and I think called it a, a, a director of community and enterprise, which was trying to link, I suppose, community development and the enterprise culture. Um, and that, that that would have happened in the sort of uh, probably 2003, 2004, that that specific type of director came into being nationally. So it, 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 it initially gave local authorities, you might say, an official role in enterprise development, mm-hmm. um, which heretofore it had always been involved in in terms of, you know, uh, creating an environment within which enterprise could prosper. But I suppose now we had a direct remit in it. And that that, that sort of was, I suppose, also democratising local, local authorities or local government a bit more in that it was, you know, um, the... The, the whole consultative exercise, which you might say um, we did you know, reasonably well, but not really on a consistent basis. But there was some, you know, statutory frameworks established in terms of what one had to do or needed to do. Um, and I said the other bit there was it broke down the the, the, the streams of, of the technical administrative side of things. So you you got rid of this sort of dual system. And you were trying to get it into uh, one system, mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> you know, and I think I think there, as opposed to being just purely sort of really transactional, uh, we became far more customer focused. Yeah, and okay. you'd, you know what I mean, and, and I think that that would be the same for the wider public service as well, mm-hmm. as a general service that everybody was now talking about customers. In the Globalisation and World City Research Network, Dublin is now ranked as an alpha global city, which makes it among the top 30 cities in the world in terms of its economic connectivity. So what does this actually mean for the city, you know, in terms of its international profile and promotion and the running of the city day to day? Well, I suppose, you know, know, if you look at initially the difference between sort of a county council and the city council, and particularly... uh, you know, a suburban Dublin council as such, and then moving in, like this, the scale of the operation in the city has to be seen to be believed in terms of its complex, in terms of its complexity. Yeah. And, you know, um, and as a capital city, then I suppose you get heard when you whisper, as opposed to you, you might not get that heard uh, in other local authorities and you might be shouting and jumping up and down so you might say in terms of um you know being in the, being in a you know top 30 and being an alpha city i suppose what you, what has led to that i suppose has been the, the fact that we have become far more outward focused yeah um and you know in, in relation to the whole international relations side of things and you know that, that enables us I suppose, to, to learn from others. But what we have done and managed to do quite successfully is down in the Docklands. And we have this smart Docklands 
uh, program working, which is sort of a nearly a, a collaboration between all the various stakeholders down the Docklands, all your smart tech companies um, at the city council, um, Trinity, DCU. You know what I mean? That, that, that we we tend to work quite a lot uh, with that. But but we've set the Docklands up as nearly a, a global uh, sandbox for people to try new tech in. Yeah. Um, and, and you know it's everything and I suppose what's come to fruition at the moment I suppose is the whole thing around 4G and um, and that, that's your, your fifth generation uh, which is going mobile technology yeah. which is going to enable if you want it you know your your driverless cars and all this type of stuff but it needs um, quite an amount of mini cells um, and you know it is you know, the, the the early deployment of that will have us stay at the top of uh, the leaderboard mm-hmm. um, because it is going to come down to, you might say, how well equipped we are technologically. And as a city council, say we've got, um, you know, thousands upon thousands of uh, public lighting columns, traffic signals, um, and uh, endless amounts, you know, I think it's about, you know, maybe 1,100, 1,200 uh, kilometres of uh, ducting, to which can enable a city in terms of the fibre. So, yeah. you know what I mean? When we talk about developing cities in the past, it was always about, you know, the road access. Yeah. And if, if this COVID uh, situation has, you know, proven anything, it is that, you know, our infrastructure isn't that bad in terms of under the ground and the fibre. It could be better, um, and it needs to get better, and it, it will achieve that, I suppose, with the full rollout of a five G, which we're currently working on. So we we have a smart Dublin team that is about fifteen people in it at the moment, um, and what we are trying to do there is, I say, to facilitate all of these trials, encourage people to come on board, um, but also. To, it's not good enough just to be a smart city. We want to be a smart city council as well. Yeah, uh, I guess it's plain for all to see. You know that COVID nineteen has had a massive impact on the on the life of the city this year, um, and it's perhaps introduced some new and unanticipated changes, as well as accelerating some changes that were already underway. So, what are the main challenges and opportunities that COVID presents to a city like Dublin? Um, well, I suppose the main challenges at the moment is in the sort of hospitality sector, because you figure out there's we were used to seven and a half million tourists annually. We were used to you know uh, hundreds of thousands of people coming into the city um, on a daily basis, or thousands of people, tens of thousands of people coming into the city on a, on a daily basis to work. Uh, both of those have sort of nearly vanished overnight. Yeah, and so an awful lot of the you might say the small retail, you know, the small to medium enterprises that would rely on footfall are are really hurting, and um, they've had to, I suppose, look more towards um, when you looked at the hospitality side of things, the takeaway, and they pivoted quite quickly. In fairness to them, but then we as a city council need to really look at how livable our city actually is and how dominated by the motor car uh, it is. So mm. when you talk about the acceleration of things, I don't think I've seen throughout Dublin, um, and you might say 
how many how many kilometres of protected cycle routes have come into play um, that hadn't been sort of had to go through uh, a labyrinthine planning process that it was just done. Yeah. Now, albeit on a temporary basis, but I think once people see uh, how beneficial that is in making it a more livable city, because we're, we're now into the year, I think, uh, Patrick, of placemaking. Yeah. Um, and that you might say that to me would be one of the really positive outcomes. You're seeing spaces being used that have not been used before. Um, I think we're cutting through, I know the City Council, we've been sort of cutting through the red tape in terms of the licensing of um, tables and chairs and all of that. And we're sort of allowing people to get the license in retrospect. Yep. yep. Um, and so you, you might say we've had to change our processes and be more tolerant. Um, but I, I, you might say it's there's been a real, I, I suppose, what you call democratization of public space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we are going to have to make a decision when when COVID is done and dusted with whenever that will be do we continue on the same trajectory of this livable city piece and you know really push home this whole compact urban growth that you want um, and sort of less reliance on uh, motor vehicles yeah it'd be interesting to see you know the uh, we have in Dublin uh, these kind of old villages you know like the Terenures and the Ranelas and the Fibsburs and places like that how, how have they been affected by COVID have they have they benefited or I think you know I haven't been in a few of them you know I, I think they've actually survived and thrived quite well mm. Because people are, are there, people the people who live there are there now yeah. rather than in, yeah. in the city centre, right? right? Yeah. So they're, they're, you know, an awful lot of times people, you know, had bought houses in those suburban villages, if we call them, or urban villages, um, and because they wanted to be close to work. Now, they don't really even need to be there, but what they're doing is, you know, uh, because, I mean, as much as, you know, your, your naces and... Um, you know, Leak Slips, Lucans and all of this were sort of dormitory type of towns. Mm. There was an awful lot of that happening in the city centre as well. You know what I mean? In terms of Annalas, the Stony Batters, the Fibsboroughs, mm. people were only coming home there in the evening. Yeah. Now they're there having their lunch, they're doing all the bits and pieces, they're working from home. Um, and even if that continues into the future, which I've no doubt it will in some way, shape or form, but... Um, I think we'll see the, the the real economic growth of those suburban towns. I look at my old stomping ground in Dunleary, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen it busier. Yeah, yeah. I was in Dalky yesterday, and uh, same kind of thing. It felt like somewhere in France, you know, and all of these tables out on the on the pavement, yeah. and part of the road had been kind of sectioned off. And uh, it felt it felt very continental, to be honest. Oh, did you? But I mean, you know, this. I think it was was it Michael McDougall years ago talked about. I think wrote about the cafe society type yeah. of thing. Um, and so from that perspective, I think it is. Uh, I mean, it's it's challenging in this environment, you know, where we're coming into you might say the cold colder side of the year. Um, but I think you know. Um, people will, will adapt quite well yeah. because people want to get out, they want to socialise, yeah. they want to have their cup of coffee or their 
pint or whatever it is. I think we'll have to we'll have to take a leaf out of uh, Billy Connolly's book. He said something along the lines of, uh, "There's no such thing as bad weather; just inappropriate clothing." Correct. <laughs> just put your coat on. <laughs> I was I, I was out, I was out on Saturday night and I put me you know put me long johns on because <laughs> yeah. I knew I'd sitting down my knees would get cold yeah. even with the blanket. Yeah. So, you know, as I say, you just adapt. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're what we're finding is that, you know, people are ad- are very adaptable. I think it's going to be a challenge for people to stay afloat um, if, you know, if this continues yeah, for too much wise, longer yeah. in terms of a heavy lockdown, particularly on the, the hospitality side of things. So, you, you know, your hope and what we're trying to do is to keep them alive uh, for when, you know, COVID will pass. When I don't know, mm. um, but you know, you you, you want to, you you want a thriving sector, yeah. um, city centre, and I think the, the country needs uh, a thriving a thriving capital city. Economically, Dublin's been a, a beneficiary of the rising wave of globalisation since the 1970s. So, from your own perspective as an informed observer. Where do you anticipate, where do you think this process of economic globalization is headed now, you know, with all the challenges facing the world, including climate change, geopolitical tensions, rising nationalism, pandemics, and so on? My own, my own take is that, you know, this has given us uh, an opportunity to pause for thought. Mm-hmm. And it's given us a greater sense of place. And, you know, um, so it's shown us that the work can be done from anywhere, largely speaking, that there's less face-to-face stuff. But I think what you have is that um, I think countries and even counties and parishes are becoming, this This has brought out, you know, a resilience streak, I think, in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is no bad thing, you know, that metal piece that, you know, we... We heard of way back when was it Mary Robinson got elected as president, but you know the, the, this community backbone, which how how communities have reacted to look after each other, has been a very very positive experience. Um, and you know we were involved with the community column that was you know we set up a you, you might say nearly a, a dedicated customer service piece from people to have their shopping done uh, and we were connecting volunteers with all of that so I mean mm. so so I think that's been probably the same internationally Patrick yeah um I don't think it's as um you know I, I I think the fear the fear you'd have is that you know you have you know the no no mask wearing people um to an extent really you'd say been fueled by um you might say the with the far right, I don't know if to be the right phrase, but people who have an axe to grind with organs of the state, mm-hmm. um, and nearly using it, you know, any of these restrictions to march against restrictions. Yeah. Um, and that would be the only concern I'd have um, that people using, you know, a cross like this for other for, for other means. Yeah, because they have an agenda, I guess, right? I suppose this is a question that's virtually impossible to answer. Um, but where do you envisage Dublin will be? What do you think Dublin will look and feel like to its citizens in, say, 2030? 
It's a real easy question, Patrick. Um, <laughs> um, but what I'd say, what I'd say is that I think you know when when you look at the whole climate piece and how we're reacting to climate climate change, um, I think we're going to see a far more compact city. It will be you know a city of neighbourhoods. How we will achieve that is we've got um, the city development plan is going out. Uh, for consultation in November. Um, and, you know, we'll, I think we'll, we'll really try to ground it in the city and neighbourhoods theme. Um, and that is about making it uh, a more livable city. You know, you've got things happening like bus connects. You know, you've got the, the metro, hopefully. Um, and, you know, what you want to do is you want to reduce this, you know, uh, urban sprawl. And yeah. so compact, dense development um, is what needs to happen. And it needs to happen, you, you might say, in a very planned and organised fashion. Um, and so that would be, you know, where I would see it. I think we'll be at the old, you know, we'll, we, we'll, have, we'll have hopefully reached the tipping point in terms of electric vehicles. Um, I, I think there'll be far more pedestrianised areas in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, protected cycle routes. And protected is very important, and not sharing with a not sharing with a bus lane, yeah, and um, just to make people feel safe and comfortable. But and I, you know, possibly noisy in a better way, not traffic noise, but people noise, and that we have a people-focused city. We tend to pay homage to the motor vehicle, um, uh, all too often, and um, you know, but we we'll also have far more near zero energy buildings, the NZEB side of things. Um, I know as a city council, we have uh, stopped using uh, herbicides. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're getting to, I suppose, uh, you know, into a healthier area. Mm. Um, and, you know, you might say a living city and trying to encourage more people. The one thing that I suppose, when you look at the differences, the north side of the city seems to be faring okay at the moment. South side less so, mm. um, and that is probably as a result of fewer people living south city, and there being probably more government offices yeah. on the south side. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's um, so we could but, so so really, but we're probably looking forward to maybe cleaner, quieter, more people-centered city um, built around places and neighbourhoods. Yeah, that's the vision. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, and and that. You know, it's not a four-day camel ride to work. Yeah, sure. Um, and also, you, you've got to, you've got to, you know, your your public transport has got to be resilient enough um, to to cope with it. Because I mean, the city. I mean, in fairness, pre-COVID, the city was at breaking point in yeah. terms of yeah. the numbers sure. of people it could accommodate. And um, you know, when you when you put in the workforce and then the tourists, that was a, a, you know, in hindsight, you know it. It was a it was a nice problem to have. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I take that problem as opposed to the problem that we now have currently. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's um you know and but I I think people people are now, you know, have reconnected with where they live. 
and they and a lot of people like where they live. Yeah, that's that, that's true. I've I've discovered lots of places, and I must say, my uh, the average number of steps I do per day has has risen significantly because I'm walking more and using the car far less. And I guess that's happening to lots of people around the place. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you don't have to be, you know, workers where your laptop is now or where your yeah. PC is. Yeah. Um, and you know, home is where your family is. Yeah. So you you know what I mean that it's um you know it it, it might that there might be a fundamental shift um in in how say the big tech like the Googles the Facebooks of this world in terms of where their people are actually located physically located yeah. they might be headquartered in Dublin but they might only be in Dublin one week a month. All right, Richard, we'll have to leave it there for today. Many thanks. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Richard. Many thanks for being here with us today. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting, goodbye and keep well until next time.